Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We're starting a brand new series today called The Great Arrival. Advent is what we're going through. Advent is the countdown to Christmas. All of the chocolate calendars that we see everywhere are rooted in the countdown to Christmas that started in the early church years ago. How many people love a good chocolate calendar? I do too. The reason I love them is because in my family growing up, we had a pastor's salary. My parents were pastors, so we shared the Advent calendar. <laughs> many times. Isaac Daniel, you guys remember that? Tough. Yeah, these guys are, these are my, my brothers in front of them. Like, oh man, tough. Still forgiving mom and dad, working through it. But um, it's the Christian tradition that began in the early church. We're starting Advent a week early. The Christian tradition would start it next week, but Christmas Eve is part of it this year, and we do Christmas Eve a little bit different. So we're, it doesn't really matter. We're running Advent uh, starting now. And so you could, I would encourage you, if you get a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion app, do it Advent Bible. If you don't have YouVersion, download that app. I think it's just called the Bible app now. Download that thing, get an Advent Bible reading plan so you can read along with me, allow God to work in your life. The Word of God does not return void. And so you read that thing every day, God will do something in your life. Just like we heard Ephraim say, that was beautiful, wasn't it? I just read a little bit. Started to shift what was going on in his life and his spirit. That's awesome. But Christmas is the celebration of the great arrival of Christ. And Advent, it means to come into means waiting for something to happen. It's an arrival. And we live in a time in between the great arrival that's already happened and the great arrival that is to come. And as we celebrate Advent together over the next four weeks, we're going to explore the four topics of Advent, which are hope, peace, joy, and love together. And so today, as we start hope and we think about this world, this word, a lot of people in our world are looking for places where they can find hope, where they can have something they're looking forward to. It might be just, you know, innocent things like a vacation or, you know, a, a good party. They're hosting a good party. They have hope because they're looking forward to these things. But a lot of times our friends down, just a block down the road are looking for hope in the casino. That place does very well. I'm sure they're never worried about going out of business. I've seen it been thriving for the last 10 years we've been here. Many cars in the parking lot. I think people go in there looking for hope. No judgment to them, whatever. It's, that's what happens. Often when you don't have Jesus in your life, you're looking for places to get hope. And maybe it's at the, at the gas station, getting the lottery tickets. I just think people are looking for hope everywhere they can. You just see it in Disney movies, like fairy tales. They're trying to communicate hope to people because people want hope. And hope changes how you live in your life. Imagine we said uh, there was like these two, two guys and we said, okay, uh, one guy number one, we're going to lock you in a, a dark room for a year. And in that dark room, you're going to fix watches for one whole year. You ever seen people fix watches? Oh, it looks like such a pain. You get like the little eyeglass thing, fixing watch. It looks tough. Hurts your thumbs. It's like texting too much. You ever text too much and your thumbs are like, oh man. You know what I'm talking about? So you put one guy in the room and he's fixing watches for a year. And we say, at the end of the year, we're going to pay $10,000. And 
Then you get another guy and you say, all right, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to have your own dark room. You're going to stay in this room for one year. You're going to fix watches the whole time. But at the end of the year, we're going to pay you $100 million. Let me tell you, when there's like a coffee break after a month, they let them both out. They're sitting there having their coffee together, taking a little break from all their work. One guy, you're going to, the one guy's going to say to the other, you know, how's it been? It's terrible. I can't stand this. I'm done. I want out. And he's going to say, how are you feeling about it? To the guy with, that's going to make $100 million. He's going to be like, it's great. <laughs> one month down, only 11 to go. Like, he's feeling so good. One has hope, the other does not. And this is often in, the, in the, the Christian life. We have so much hope and we don't even realize it. The Hebrew word for hope is yakal. It means to wait for. We're waiting with great expectation, looking forward to. And this is the Christian experience. We have so much hope, waiting with hope, knowing we, we can trust the one that we're waiting on. And if you aren't looking forward to your future here this morning, I would suggest that you need to look backwards this Christmas season and all God has done. Not just in your life, but just look at the Bible and look at how the, the, the words, how he sent his son for you. We have so much hope. If we don't have hope for the future, we can look backward at the past and have hope for that. We're gonna read from Isaiah 9 this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. I'm gonna read it from the NIV. I'd encourage you to just follow along with me. You can just Google the verse. It'll pull it up. NIV, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. If you have version, you can pull it up on that app. It's also going to be on the screens, but I just encourage you, just follow along with me. You're going to get more when you read it as well. And the prophet Isaiah starts this whole uh, portion of scripture with filling people with hope. And he starts to sort of paint this picture. I'll, I'll let you get there. Uh, if you have a paper Bible too, you can flip to that. I said, do it in all the technology ways. If you got a paper Bible, great, do that. Um, but when Isaiah starts this prophecy, he sort of paints this picture. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So he's starting this, he's painting this picture where it's dark, but something beautiful is about to happen. It's dark, but man, it's going to be amazing. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Here we go. For unto us a child is born, a son, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This morning, I wonder, could I give you five reasons for hope from Isaiah 9, 67? It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to give you these five reasons, okay? First, first reason is that Jesus is the covenant between us and God. We sang about that this morning. But I'll tell you, we so often forget that Jesus is the covenant between us and God. What does covenant mean? Commitment of responsibility. So Jesus took care of the responsibility between us and God. There was something fractured, something broken there. And Jesus, because he came, lived this life, died on the cross, 
He's the new the, the, the new covenant, the new promise between us and God. It's not your church attendance. That's the covenant between you and God. It's not your good behavior. That's the covenant between you and God. Jesus is it. But how often in our lives do we try and write our own covenant? You ever tried to write your own covenant? I know I did this when I was younger. Dear God, if you would help me get that homework done, if you just magically do it for me, I'll live for you the rest of your life. You ever do that? I remember when I was 17-ish. I started dating like the first girl I ever dated. My parents didn't like her. I remember asking God, God, change this. If you change it, I'll be good. I will be good. I won't be naughty anymore. We try to write our own covenant. You ever done that? But Jesus, he took care of it. Jesus is the covenant and he's given to us. The verse says, to us, the child is born. To us, the son is given. It's the covenant per, uh, person. So this covenant is, it, it, it's, it's, your promise is not based on your performance. Your promise between you and God is based on the person of Jesus. My performance is never the thing that makes me right with God. And people will come into church carrying so much shame. I love that, that first slow song we sang this morning. Where it's just like, I left my shame where the nails were. Somebody's got to do that today. Knowing it's not your performance that makes you right with God. It's everything Jesus did. And this, this, is, this is great news. Because if your performance sucks, you're still right with God. So what does this mean for something like the Ten Commandments? So what happens now, because of Jesus being the covenant is that now the Ten Commandments are how to live saved, not be saved. It's like, we have these Ten Commandments as a guideline to have a great life, to being fulfilled in life, to enjoying our life. But we don't have to, it's not that if you follow these things, then maybe you'll get to heaven if your hair's done right when you die. Like, no, this is how to live saved and how to have a good life, not be saved. Oftentimes people are like, I could not be a Christian, there's too many rules. It's not a rule book as it, it's not as much a rule book as it is an owner's manual. This is how to have a great life. Jesus is the new covenant for us. And you would think that when God wants to save us, take care of us, that um, he would want to like flex his muscles. He'd want to like be like, you know, I'm God. I'm all powerful. I can do what, whatever the heck I want. Like he could send a T-Rex to die for us. Like you'd think he'd want to send like this big, powerful person to die for us, Right? but he sends a baby. It's like Jesus humbled himself to the point of being this baby. You gotta, we gotta keep in context that this is the second person, the second person of God who came to die for us. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's up in heaven. Everything's all good. And he comes down and he takes earthly form. And you might think, what's the big deal about that? It's like, imagine you becoming an earthworm. Right? He has all this power and he comes down to be and subjects himself to human suffering. It would be like us becoming an earthworm. We have all this power, top of the food chain. Even the sharks can't get us. They get some of us, but not all of us, right? We're the top of the food chain. It'd be like, you know, and, and Jesus comes down like us becoming an earthworm, like this, squeaking around on the ground when it, when it rains and stuff. But Jesus humbles himself to this point. He subjects himself to like, Tummy aches after the disciples cooked his fish wrong. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you didn't check for parasites. Peter, what are you doing? You know, things are going south in there. He subjects himself to, he's a carpenter, subjects himself to slivers. Human suffering with slivers. It, it subjects himself to listen to K97 all day, carpentry. Um, did that ever, any carpenters? I, I did carpentry for a little bit. They listened to classic rock. 
all day. And in those crappy job site radios, And there's sawdust everywhere. Oh, just get me out of here, Lord. I'm too soft for this. Jesus subjected himself to that for you and I. Our great, powerful God sent a baby, the most humble, helpless version of a person. And now, as it says in 1 Peter, we have this living hope. Not a dead God, but an alive Jesus. A living hope promise with the Father. Jesus is the covenant, and he's alive. Not only is he alive, and not only is he, is he the covenant, but he carries the weight of authority in our lives. You know, authority has a weight to it. And Isaiah says, the government will be on his shoulders. Authority has a weight to it. When my son Brixton was born, when we first became parents for the first time, we had a midwife come to our house don't judge me, okay? This is how we did it. People are like, that's disgusting. You had a baby in your house? It, it was disgusting, all right? But it was also beautiful. Anyways, let's get back to it. That midwife is at the house. When the baby is born, I did not feel all authority on my shoulders for this child yet. I was like, I got the midwife here. She's way smarter than me. She's gentle. She's taking care of him. She's poking him. She's doing all this stuff. And as soon as the midwife leaves the room, as soon as the midwife leaves our house, it's like, oh my gosh, there's a shift of authority that just happened. I now have this child that I'm responsible for. And it, it happens multiple times during parenthood, but Jesus carries the weight of authority so that we can live light, so that we can live freely. The government is on his shoulders. It's not to say Isaiah's not saying this to say that Jesus is going to come down. He's going to take control of the, the human government that's you know, appointed here. What he's saying is that there is a higher government than the government we pay our taxes to. And we can have hope because we have a, a higher government than hu human government. The government is on his shoulders. We answer to him. And human governments, left or right, will always be incompetent to fully lead us but thank God we have Jesus above them. Let the government, government of your life be on his shoulders. What happens is you start to live more free. It's like, it's, to use another parenting example, it's like uh, how free our children live in our houses, right? You know how much everything costs because the government of that house is on your shoulders and you have to take care of everything so they can live freely. And oftentimes we take that government back from God and it's why we, we end up with a heavier life. It's why we end up stressed out because we take the government back and put it on our shoulders. But God wants to set you free. He says, I'm, I'm putting the government on my shoulders. Let me lead your life. You'll see, let the Holy Spirit work. Let the word, you know, govern your life and you'll start to live a more free life in him. We have a hope. We have a hope because the government's on his shoulders. We have hope because we know who he is. I tell you, there's hope in his name. And sometimes we hear the name of Jesus so much, we forget about everything that's in that name. But there is hope in the name of Jesus. You know, God's name is his truest identity. And there's so much in the hope in the name of Jesus. His character, Jesus' character is described in the names given to him over 700 years before he was born. 
We talked about a couple weeks ago, they found the, the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. They found this book of Isaiah that was a, a thousand years older than the current copy of Isaiah that we use to write the Bible. And the, the books aligned like basically perfectly. I don't, I'm saying basically, because I haven't done the full research, but from what I understand, they were word for word, a thousand years older. It's beautiful. We have this word passed down from generation to generation that talks about the name of Christ, the one we serve, and he'll always be the same. What hope we would have if we remind ourselves what's in his name. What does the prophet Isaiah say? He's a wonderful counselor. And I read one, one commentator this week that said, wonderful in this context meant supernatural. And so we have a counselor with supernatural answers. So it's like, it's great to have counselors here on earth. I love having counsel in my life. Love people having authority over me. Uh, love, you know, talking to someone who's professionally trained in counseling about, you know, what's going on in my heart and my head. And it's awesome to have human counselors, but prophet Isaiah says, man, you got a supernatural counselor as well. So when you look at, when you, when you read like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, uh, what is it, five, five to seven, Matthew 5 to 7, you read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has given us instruction. He's actually counseling us through that. He's saying, you want your life to be happy? Blessed is the one who? So if you mourn, you're going to be happy. If you mourn for people who mourn. Uh, if, you, if you just show mercy to people, you're going to be happy. Why are you miserable all the time? You won't show anybody mercy. Man, you, don't, you don't care about what people are going through. You, know, you hold things against people. That's why you're not happy. He's giving us counsel. He's like, if he, if he said, you'll be happy if you're pure in heart. What happens is we get all sorts of stuff in our hearts. We're like, why am I unhappy all the time? He's trying to solve it with all sorts of things. Jesus saying, you know what? If you just purify your heart, you're going to be happier. You've been trying to solve it with this, that, and the other thing, left, right, whatever. Would you just purify your heart? Get more of me in your heart? You're going to be happier. There's so much direction here from the supernatural counselor, just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, let alone all this other scripture on conflict, fulfillment, how to live, prayer, calming your soul. We have a wonderful counselor. We have a wonderful counselor, don't we? Man, thank God for Jesus. It's great to have other counselors as well, but you gotta know you have a supernatural counselor who has all the answers you need. So he says, Isaiah says, He's a wonderful counselor. What else did he say? He's mighty God. Look at these names he's given, mighty God. So no matter what the situation is, our God's mightier than it. That no matter what the doctors have said about your health, you know our God is mightier than it. There, there might've been some hopeless situation spoken over you, but you serve a mighty God who's mightier than the most hopeless situation, the Holy One, even above our comprehension. He's a mighty God. Not only that, he's the everlasting father. So if you feel like you don't belong in this circle or that circle, can I just tell you, you belong to him? Feel like, if you feel like you don't belong at work, you belong to God. I love that the verse we had uh, used last week, Psalm 27, 10. Says, David says, even if my mother and my father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And even if your mother and father haven't abandoned you, can I just tell you, you have the, just a wonderful, everlasting Father in Jesus. Father uh, here signifies the paternal kindness of the perfect ruler over people who loves his children more than we could ever comprehend. Beautiful, everlasting Father. 
Nay, he's the Prince of Peace because he'll bring you peace. I don't know what you've been going through, but God sent Jesus to give us all peace. This is the hope we can have. This is the hope that at Christmas time sometimes gets lost in all the busyness of you know, Christmas parties and buying stuff. And, and maybe for some, Christmas feels painful because you lost someone around this time of year or because you just feel like this is putting more financial stress on already financial stressful situation or, or whatever. And can I just tell you, you got the Prince of Peace. Don't lose that during this season. Peace in Hebrew implies prosperity as well as just this calmness. Now that we know who he is, we have to, it's not just enough to go, okay, he's great. He's all these things, great, cool. But we actually have to allow that person to influence our lives. You got to, Anybody got a friend who, who influences them? Like, come on, be honest. Like you, you'd, you, you wouldn't have done something, but that friend was with you, right? You're like, you, you go shopping with that friend and that friend's like, you buy that girl, you deserve it. You know what I'm talking about? Oh girl, you buy that purse. I do have a mortgage to pay. Buy it. The mortgage will figure itself out. Let the mortgage pay itself. You need that purse. We got friends who influence us. I had this friend in my teenage years named Derek. Derek was awesome. Such a fun dude. And um, Derek was crazy. And one, one Saturday, he was like, uh, hey, this Saturday, we're going to go jump off some rocks in Jasper into water. I was like, cool. That sounds fun. I'm thinking two-foot rocks. We jump in the water. Beautiful. Great little swim that day. And uh, we went to this place called Horseshoe Lake. Anybody know about Horseshoe Lake? Okay, so we're, we're climbing through Horseshoe Lake. And he goes, that's the rock we're going to jump off of. It's 97 feet tall. <laughs> and I would never jump off this type of rock had Derek not influenced me to do it. And so I go up and I, I do the jump and it takes forever. I was doing the rolling down the windows as you're coming down. It was a marked moment. Like, oh my gosh, it's taking so long to get down off this cliff into this water. I would have never done that had I not had Derek influencing me. You have to have Jesus influence your life. The Prince of Peace there to influence you. You have to have his word to influence you. It's not just, he's not just there to chill out and I'm here if you need me. We got to have him influencing our lives if we're going to have lives that are full of hope. Allow Jesus, allow his word to influence you. Allow his Holy Spirit to influence you. You'll be full of hope. And you can be at a place where you should have zero hope because of what's been spoken over you. But Jesus is your reason alone to have hope. You got to let the Prince of Peace have his place and rule and reign in your life. And as you follow his way, what happens? All of a sudden you start to experience more peace. Isaiah says in, in, in seven, of the greatness of his government, government and peace, there will be no end. Other, other translations, instead of greatness, say the increase or to grow continually. So basically there's a direct tie between giving up control and gaining more peace. Such an unnatural thing for us to give up control. But he's saying here, if you would increase his, his reigning in your life, you'll also increase peace in your life. And oftentimes life feels so heavy because we put the government back on our shoulders. 
Jesus is like, let me reign in your life. And, and we're like, I got to figure this out. I got to deal with this situation. I got to, whether it's a relationship thing where you're like, I got to figure this out. I got to give this person a piece of my mind. I got to get this sorted out. Or you feel like, oh, it's this life path. I got to go this way with this career. Or I got to do this thing or that thing. And it's like, we're putting the government back on our shoulders instead of submitting it and saying, God, show me what's the right way to go. And we lose our peace. We're, you know, we're not the only ones who act like this, who have taken the government back for our lives. You know, the, uh, the Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt and God sets them free. And they're in this waiting period before the time where they're gonna go and take the promised land. And some of them are getting fed up because they're sick of waiting on God. And they actually say, I wanna go back to slavery because why? They wanted control. They wanted to do things their own way. Would you just let his government grow in your life and just trust God? As you trust him, you gain more peace. See, you're a daughter, you're a son. Don't settle for being a slave. What happens is we take control and we become a slave to whatever we put our hope in. And when we take that away, it actually starts to bog our life down and give us more stress and more anxiety. And God wants to you to live in a more free life, but it takes, uh, it takes a, um, a bravery to say, God, I give you control. I submit this decision to you. I pray to you. I'm going to seek your word. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to slow down before making decisions. Say, God, what is the way? What is the way you want me to do? How do I deal with this person or that person? I'm going to go to the Bible first instead of listening to my emotions telling me, say this and do that. And blah, 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 blah. I'm going to go to him because he governs my life. Maybe I'll, I'll say it this way. Have you ever, like, does anybody in here just like hate traveling? Like airplane, security, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the, the swelling of the feet and, and whatever else happens, hot in the planes, <laughs> stuffy. And remember masks on planes? Oh my gosh. Or I remember we were traveling, had masks on, three, three-year-old daughter freaking out in the airport, screaming, the security people are like, ma'am, grab your child. And she's like, I'm trying to, the child's faster than me. Anyways, it was, it was chaos. Um, but traveling, it's like, I'm like, I like the destination, journey, not so much. And, and especially the baggage part. You're like, put this bag on, open this bag, show me your laptop, do all this stuff. It's like, it's hectic. Or you ever have a wheel break on your luggage? So you're dragging your luggage through the airport. <laughs> It's just like, come on. And traveling is like, it's tough sometimes because of the baggage aspect. And one time my dad and I went to Vancouver just for a day, didn't stay overnight. So we flew no bags. Game changer. Like you're walking around. It's just like, you're just living your life. I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna get a coffee, live my life. All of a sudden it's so free. I just feel like that's what, that's what God's trying to do to your life through Jesus. It's like, I'm trying to set you free and you just keep grabbing more bags, trying to deal with it yourself. You gotta, you gotta let those bags go. Trust me with this situation, that situation, that person, all of a sudden your life's gonna have so much more hope because you've been trying to control it all the time, get your way all the time, but you can live. God wants you to live light. He wants you to live light. So how can we do our part in seeing this verse come to pass and being the Prince of Peace for our life? Well, his government will increase when I allow him to lead. And when his government increases, so does my peace. So wherever you don't have a peace about something, you have not allowed God to rule in that place in your life. You can have hope. 
because God keeps his promises. He sure did in this verse where 700 years before Jesus is born, he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And sure enough, he does. So you can have hope in a God that continually keeps his word to his people. And you can look forward in life by looking backwards at all that God's done. He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy and he continues to fulfill this today. What I love about the gospel is it's about what has been done, not about what we must do. So many people get it wrong. And myself included, you can slip into the thinking of, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta do that and to make God happy. And maybe this is not happening in my life because I've done something else that God's angry with. And it's like, we just have to drop that. It's fun to be a Christian because you live in freedom. And right now we live in between the two great arrivals, the great arrival of Jesus that already happened and the great arrival that is coming. And it's like, we just got to remind ourselves who God is in this Christmas season. I love this verse, Psalms 46. He says, be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Another translation says it this way, stop fighting. And doesn't life just feel like a fight sometimes? where we're just trying to figure it out on our own, get our own way, do our own thing. And God's like, stop fighting. Know that I am God. We could even say it in our own way. Calm down. Like, would you just calm down? That's like the most aggravating thing to say to an angry person. <laughs> calm down. But we got to say it to ourselves. Whoa, you let your emotions get the best of you there. Calm down. Know that I'm God. Have hope. Look forward. Wait for me. I've got it sorted. I don't know what you showed up carrying today. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's just a feeling of feeling numb or feeling unworthy or overlooked. Or maybe you're just frustrated with God. I just tell you today, you can have hope in a God who keeps his promises. I don't know what you carried in here today, but don't carry it back out the door with you. There's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who wants to carry that for you. And often we're trying to strive and force it. And God says, be still, Yahweh, God has it covered. And we can have hope for today and tomorrow. God, thank you for this great church, these great people. I pray you'd renew our hope today as we begin this Christmas season. Pray for just a new sense of your spirit to be in people's homes and people's lives. And I pray that, God, we would slow down over these next few weeks as we lead up to this beautiful celebration, that we would take time to reflect on who you are in our lives. Hey, if you're in the room today, and it's time for you to put your hope in God. Like David, Psalms 39, my hope is in you. I think some people need to make that decision today to say, God, my hope is in you. I've been putting my hope in this thing or that thing or this person or that substance. And it's time today to commit your life and say, God, I'm putting my hope in you. I realize that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And then you raised him from the dead. 
to pay for my sin, to reconnect me with you. It's beautiful. The Bible just says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And so if you need to make a decision today to put your hope in Jesus, you believe it in your heart, now you need to confess it with your mouth. It'd be my honor to pray with you today. And I just ask everybody who calls Celebration Church home to pray with you as well. And just, just, you just say these words out loud. They're gonna say it in agreement with you so that you're not singled out this morning. But if you wanna make this important decision, you just repeat after me and you're gonna start a brand new journey accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So just say this, God, I humble myself to you today. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son Jesus I believe he died on the cross and was raised to life for my freedom. Today I accept your Holy Spirit to dwell within me. And now I live for you. In Jesus' name, come on together, let's say amen nice and loud. Amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.